Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're actually in the studio. This is a break, Sam. We we have not done one of these in uh, a couple weeks. We had Sean in here a couple weeks back, but it seems like we just went through this like role where we had like three people in a row over the phone. But we're actually here in the Project Purple studio with someone who's become a good friend of mine, Tara Petta. Tara, thank you for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be here. So I'm excited. We have worked with Tara before in the past. A couple years ago, we did the What's Your Why video. Yep. You were kind enough to come in on a Saturday. So this is a little bit different setting. Mm-hmm. It's a rainy day here in January. Sure is. <laughs> but it's like 55 degrees outside, so go figure, right? Right. Today would be the perfect running day. For you, maybe. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming into the studio, Tara, and having you on the Project Purple podcast is special for us. Um, you're a survivor, and we're looking forward to tell your story on this podcast about your experience with pancreatic cancer for our listeners and our audience to hear. And so with that, um, what we usually do is we usually give our guests the opportunity to tell their background, maybe something uh, like when you were diagnosed, and then fast forward to where we are today, um, just so that our audience knows a little bit about you. Yeah. So I'm Tara Petta. I'm currently 49 years old. Uh, back in 2000, September of 2014, after struggling with some pain in my side and I kept pursuing it, I was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. Um, at the time, it felt like a death sentence, which I'm sure a lot of people feel when they hear those words. Um, and then there was a whirlwind of tests and you know events that would that went on that led me to some chemo in january of 2015 i had surgery to remove um a rather large pancreas uh, tumor on the tail of my pancreas i finished up with another 10 rounds of chemo after the surgery and since june of 2015 i have been cancer free and sitting here to tell my story with you, happy to do so. So when, before you got diagnosed, what, what was the symptoms? Like what forced you to go to the doctor? Cause you were pretty yeah. active. I know you and I have known each other for a couple yeah. years now and you know, the running you've come and yeah, I've always out, worked out, worked out ate, the running, healthy. you know, I have a pretty active, I'm a work full time. I have four you children, have four children and, which keep you active. Yeah. I, I've got a cat, I've got a husband <laughs> and it's a full yeah. load, but, um, I was having this, and as you know, there's typically no symptoms with pancreatic cancer, and I know they say it's a silent killer, but I was having this irritable jabbing pain in my side that would kind of stop me in my tracks. Like where you're kidding, like on the yeah, side? Yeah, like underneath like right my ribs, and I, I remember one day stopping at the island in my kitchen and pause, and it would come, and it would be an arresting pain, and then it would kind of dissipate, and I said to my husband, I, I really got to pursue this, because the year before I had had the pain, went and had um, an ultrasound of all my organs done, everything was fine, you know, because nothing would show up on the ultrasound. So, but as any full-time working parent, you tend to put yourself last. So the, the pain had been going on probably months, but very sporadically. But it wasn't until that, that day that it really stopped me in my tracks. I said, you know, I gotta spend some time, taking time off to go to the doctor mm -hmm. for myself. So. Um, 
So I, with the pain though, let me let me stop yeah. you there for a second. So when you say this pain, so it wasn't like half hour of keeling over. No. It was just like a like, would I mean, I guess for our audience listening at home, was it like a gas pain? Like would you feel like a like a bubble or was it more of like a sharp It felt like a sharp, sharp jab, jab. stabbing type of thing. And maybe it was a minute. I mean, as quickly as it came, it would then dissipate. dissipate yeah. And it wasn't every day. So it yeah. was a, but like I'd be like, oh geez, this again. This again, yeah. yeah. So I went back to my primary care physician and he said, you know what, let's have a um let's get a CAT scan done. Hmm. I said, oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, why not? Now, if you know me, I'm very much afraid of needles or anything like that. So when I went for the CAT scan, um, they said, okay, we're going to, we have to give you an IV. We're going to. They have to die up because they have to put I the... said, oh, whoa, whoa. Said, Hold the phone. I said, what do you mean by IV? I wasn't prepared yeah. for this. She's yeah, like, what do you mean more prepared? You didn't know a CAT scan involved in IV. <laughs> she, I said, why do I have to have the IV? Well, you know, there's a die. You know, we do do one without yeah, do it. Your die, doctor yeah. did order it. She's like, but, you know, if you. If you don't want to have it, you know, I can't force you to. I was like, oh, uh, I'll, I'll take the, the no die. The no die option, yeah. She said, okay, you know, which I, thinking back, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. But so my, the doctor's office calls me a couple of days later and says, um, you refused the die? The die, yeah, the contrast. I said, well, a- they kind of made it sound like it was optional. She's like, well, no, it's not optional. But um, there, there, we see something, we're going to send you for an MRI. And don't refuse the dye. So the dye, yeah. Okay, so this was on a Friday. And I still I was like, geez, I wonder what this could be. But and I'll never forget when I went in for the MRI and you have to sign the paperwork. Yeah. You know? And there's certain trigger words. But for me, I saw mass on pancreas. So when you're signing on, so you read the whole entire thing. Well, no, right? I was just signing oh, why signing. I was there, signing the paper to, oh, yes, I'm so gonna, they're saying like what, why are what you they're here? looking for. Yeah, yeah. Mass on pancreas. And I said, Ooh. mass on pancreas. Like I was thinking, you know, I wasn't thinking pancreas, but I was thinking maybe I have a cyst, maybe yeah. I have a gallstone. Who knew what I yeah. had? But that really resonated with me. And I, so now of course, I started getting a little worked up about that. Now it's Friday. I got to wait the weekend. And now I'm Googling mass on pancreas. Matt, I knew, and of course, no good news is coming up. But you that know, my, damn internet. Like there's oh, never any good news on the internet. No, no. So that Monday, I didn't go. To, I wasn't feeling great. Probably emotionally too. Yeah. I was a little distraught. And um, first thing in the morning, the doctor's office called and said, I, you know, he wants you to come in. I said, oh, all right. Now, my husband owns his own business, you yeah. know, but I called him up and I said, eh. I said, I think you better come with me. I don't, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about this. So he meets me there and um, and the doctor says, well, there's there's something on your pancreas. And I said, okay. I said, well, the MRI, I said, mass. I said, could it be a, a cyst? He's like, well, I'm not sure what it is, he said, but he goes, we're not taking any chances. He said, um, I called a friend of mine. He's an oncologist. I said, oh, wait. I said, again. Like, <laughs> that escalated quickly. I was like an oncologist. He said, yep. He goes, they're waiting for you. I said, I could go right now. I don't have to make an Like, I was yeah. dumbfounded because, you know, to make a doctor's appointment, you usually have to wait. A- wait a couple of days or weeks. So he's like, your questions are better probably served, you know by seeing Dr. 
Chang. I said, okay. So off we go. And it was very surreal because, you know, we had two cars there. So I jumped in my husband's car. We go over to And you to guys the... have no clue at this point. Like, no. other than like, hey, there's something there. And I'm like, geez, Dr. Salerno is being very precautious. Yeah. You know, good for him. Good He's for him. Gonna... He's being proactive. Yeah. You know, and even I remember walking into the Lever Center and being like, God, I can't believe I'm walking in to have this checked. And I met with the doctor and he had a copy of the um, CAT scan and the MRI. And he said, he said, all right, he said, you know, we're going to proceed. There's a sizable tumor on your pancreas. I said, well, how do you know it's a tumor? Like, could it be a cyst or something? Yeah. He's like, no, he's like, I'm fairly certain it's a tumor. And we're going to proceed as if this is cancerous. I was like, we are? I, you know, it's just you you hear these words and you're in your mind, like, well, why are we doing that? Meaning, like, he wanted to go on with testing, and yeah. you're gonna have to, you're gonna go for a PET scan, and what? Um, we're gonna schedule a biopsy, and there's so many thoughts going through your head, like, geez, this can't be true. True, geez, what if it is true? And I think my husband was more dumbfounded than than I was, because all weekend he's like, you're getting ahead of yourself, you know. Don't worry. Yeah. Now the the possibility was real. So then, then there was a, it was a very rocky time for me because the waiting for the appointments, you know, the, the PET scan, um, I went to Yale for the, um, the biopsy, biopsy yeah. waiting for the biopsy results. Like the waiting was very, those were some of my darker days, like the wondering and what if, and trying to be positive and, and hold it together. And you still have to be mom yep. and still have to go to work. Yep. And still be there for your husband. So right. Be there so for it was the almost like a defense and mechanism. Not, not even your friends and everyone else. Yeah. And and then not, I didn't want to be sharing the news until I knew, knew. what the new news was. Obviously, I told my in-laws and my um, my parents. Um, but that waiting, that was, that was difficult. And anyone who's gone through a traumatic health issue, I think, knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, the, you know, I had some... My doctor was great with trying to get me in as soon as possible, even when you get in for that test to wait for the results. Like the PET scan was scary because I'm thinking, if this is cancer, has it spread throughout my body? Did I wait too long? What could I have done differently? But up till this point, symptom wise, nothing. nothing. So you felt fine. I mean, other than that sharp little dull pain. Yeah, I was reading like all the. you know, things to watch out for, you know, significant weight loss. Yeah, no, nope, nope. there was no weight loss. You know, I was not jaundiced. I was not tired. I, I felt normal, except for that sporadic pain, pain which yeah. was not common. You know, it turns out that the, they, they think that the tumor was sizable. Maybe it was like resting on a nerve. nerve yeah, was, so it would just kind of. Thank God, because, you know, if that, if I didn't have that pain, it, it just would have been festering for I don't know how long. So, you know, that's one message to get out to anyone who's hearing this is like, just be cognizant of your body. And if something doesn't feel right, you know, you got to pursue it. You got to be your own health advocate. You Mm got to put yourself first when it comes to those issues regarding health, because it's, it could be a matter of life or death. Well, I, I was just talking to a group the other day. And one thing that I said is, Everyone knows their body best, right? So someone had asked the questions like, what are the symptoms 
of pancreatic cancer and from doing this podcast and you know even you know like we just talked about like you just had this pain yeah you know which is not i mean pain is a symptom but side pain is not listed as a symptom it's like abdominal pain or lower back pain like that's where they pain that you know the medical community talks about to be on the lookout for but what i was saying to the group was like if you know something is off then you have to be your biggest advocate, right? Like if you if you feel that something's off and it may not be a symptom of a particular disease or ailment, but if you know something's not right, go get checked. And if the first doctor says, hey, it's in your mind or it's not, you know, something yeah. going on, but you still feel that something's going on, then go find another doctor. Right. You know, like you really, I think, you know, and unfortunately I think, we live in a great country. <laughs> it's not perfect. Our healthcare system is clearly not perfect by yeah. any means. And I think the challenge today is that um, I've always also told families, like, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Right. Like doctors typically, and there's nothing against them, but I think the way they are trained is to give you as much of something that they offer but if and you they ask, know the, they know the fight that they're going to get yeah, from the insurance company exactly so it's, well it's, tara so now you bring up insurance companies <laughs> let's talk about that no but i i think that like unless you don't if you don't ask for something you don't get it right they're yeah. not going to make this assumption that oh well oh tara needs this um or if like if you if you said hey like i really want a, a ct scan to you know make sure that there's nothing there um Doctor might say, okay, like if you want a CT scan, yeah, I'll put it in. But he's probably not going to offer it up up front if there's not anything clinically that he can see that would warrant a CT scan. Right. So I, I think, you know, like that's the challenge. And then part of that is the system because the insurance companies are not going to pay for a CT scan. We go through that with genetic testing. I mean, I think now that some things are changing, you know, um, that people with cancer and their entire family have the right um, from an insurance standpoint to get genetic testing. So they're aware of maybe beforehand that they might be susceptible to a disease or a cancer because of a certain particular gene that they have. But years ago, like you couldn't you couldn't get that pushed through with the yeah. insurance companies. And that was even part of the waiting from that um, CAT scan to yeah. the MRI. It was insurance. You got, yeah, you got to wait for the, the insurance to... You know, these these insurance doctors, you know, who don't know me or my case that are reviewing my file and making a determination if I'm worthy of a test that could save my life. It is frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. 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 So it's crazy. But I think you you said it like you have to be your biggest advocate. So for those listening at home uh, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, if something does not feel right, go. And if you still don't feel right after meeting with that doctor, go to another doctor because there's plenty of doctors out there. And eventually you'll find one that will be your advocate or allow you to, you know, find the test or find out what's really going on. We hope. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So now, so you go through this whole process, you go through surgery. Yep. And then post-surgery you have chemo, right? Yeah. So I had chemo before, uh, before, um, getting that port put in—that was real. That was a real doozy. That was one. That was that was a bad memory. But the everything after the, the it was confirmed. You had complications was, with the port, I believe, or no? Uh, it could have been me and my fear oh, of needles. Of, yeah, and, and all that. But that was um, and it could have been the culmination. Like so, finally, okay, it's pancreatic cancer. 
you have an appointment on Thursday to get a port, port put in, and then you're gonna start chemo on Monday. I was like, you're gonna use the port that you yeah. that I just had surgically implanted yeah. like two three days later. They're like, yeah. I mean, it was that quick, but uh, just again, like there's a lot of people probably like me that are fearful of. You know, if if you could put me out to have a dental cleaning, I, I might take you out. <laughs> so when I showed up for that, um, the port, you know, the, um, my husband was going to come with me. I said, I, I have I have such a plethora of wonderful friends. My my friend is here from Florida. She wants to take me. Let her take me. Yeah. So she takes me, and they're prepping me, and they're like, "All right, we're almost ready." And I said, "Well." Uh, when is that Popafol coming? Oh, coming the Popafol. The Michael Jackson drug, yeah, which is they, amazing. Yeah, and they said, oh, no, you know, this is just like a, a twilight. This is a very easy procedure. I said, you're going to cut my chest open and put yeah. uh, It was, so it was, it, that was a little bit much So did me. they not, so you were conscious or you were twilighted? Yeah, they said, I mean, I've been twilighted for other procedures before and don't recall much. I, I pretty much felt like I was out. But for this, I was very much aware and... Um, upset and i remember at one point asking if they could like boost up whatever boost it was up, they yeah. were giving me and they did and that made it a little i was a little bit out of it but no that, that was crappy getting the port put in but then the port becomes your best friend because you know there's other people so i started chemo uh the intention was to see if the tumor was going to shrink yeah. um i had 12 rounds total so i think it was six rounds in like they they tested it, they looked a few times and mm-hmm. it wasn't budging. So right before the Christmas holiday, September is when I got diagnosed. I went to chemo every other week. Um, right before Christmas, I had a CAT scan and they said it's not moving. So we're gonna schedule surgery. So they I was able to have surgery in um, in January. And again, like you said, with you know my oncologist recommended a surgeon. I went and met with the surgeon. Um, he was a very nice guy, but he was a little bit matter of fact. And mm-hmm. I think I was looking for a little more. Uh, I'm a note taker. Yeah. I want I, I, draw me a diagram. I want to know what's going to happen and when and how I'm going to feel. And but so a friend of mine who um, worked for the American Cancer Society uh, knew a doctor at a different hospital. Yeah, I know you And he might. said, you know, would, she's like, would you like a second opinion? And I was a little nervous about that. I was like, well, I don't know. Like, yeah. my oncologist, you know, recommended this person, and I went. And, but I, she was able to get me in. I went, and I just kind of connected with the doctor. He took me into a conference room. He drew diagrams. He explained um, he explained both the Whipple, which I didn't need because uh, it was on the tail, but he, he drew a picture of what it was going to look like. And um, so I just, I felt more comfortable and that was a surgeon I actually went with. So to your point of making sure that you're comfortable too with your physician and, and what's happening to your body and you know how it's going to impact you. So I think that's important for our listeners to hear because we've had plenty of surgeons on the podcast and one of them mentioned something which I'm going to bring up which is like it w- wasn't like but exactly what she said was going to get a second opinion is okay and most doctors get that yeah but I think there's and she said the other thing was like a month is not going to change anything yeah like a couple weeks like if you wait three months six months right right you know but i always get the sense like people like someone called me the other day and was like hey 
Um, we'd like a second opinion, but we've scheduled surgery for Monday. <laughs> and I'm like, they're calling me the Monday before. And I'm like, well, you know, you have to kind of move that off. Like, because like if you in a, this, there is a business behind this, right? Yeah. And these types of surgeries, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, yeah. are not inexpensive. I no. mean, I remember the bill for my dad when my dad had the Whipple back in 2010, or excuse me, 2008, 10 years ago. I mean, I think his Whipple was like, total was like $350,000, you know, between everything, you know, the oh, hospital yeah, the stay, anesthesia, the yeah. anesthesia, the surgeon yeah. and the hospital, the, the, the night in ICU, because they usually bring folks into ICU just because of the, the type of procedure. They don't stay there, but they just for precaution. But so I think what you said, you know, making sure that you're comfortable is key. And also not rushing into something like, oh, you have to have surgery like Friday and it's a Monday. Like yeah. you can- There was a part of me that was like, how soon can I have? Because you just want you that be out. out. Like if that could get out of my body, I want it out as soon as possible. But I mean, it wasn't a deciding factor. I was going to have the surgery in January or February yeah. as it was. You know, with the first surgeon, um, I had more of a connection with his assistant who would email me or answer my questions, you know, because he wasn't as easy to, to access. access. Yeah. But it ended up being the right decision for yeah. me. So. Well, I, I think that's important, though. Like, you yeah. know, like I think that patients and I've I said it on the flip side. I've said this to families, too, before in the past. You may find someone who's like, hey, he's written up in all these magazines. He's published a bazillion articles on this cancer. But if that person is a jerk. Yeah. And you do not connect with that person, and he may have the accolades of everyone. Why bother? Like yeah. you want someone who's going to take care of you to the hundredth degree and care for you like you were family to them, yeah. like not just a number. So I think that's really you have to connect and you have to feel comfortable with it. And you have to educate yourself. I mean, I was a forty-something-year-old woman living my life. I didn't know much about pancreatic cancer or the right questions to ask. So right from the beginning after the MRI I think I got myself a journal mm -hmm. I just started noting what was happening at the doctor's appointments because you know you you forget and you, and you want to ask the right questions and then you know the internet is a blessing and it's not a blessing so just doing some research to know what questions to ask you know when I went to the second surgeon after doing some research, I was like, oh, well, you know, could this be done robotically? He's like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, or can a laser surgery? Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, this is, you know, a pretty, pretty major surgery, X number of hours, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So all those things that you don't, you know, you got to, you got to know the questions to ask. So, I mean, you had reached out to me at the time, yeah. which, um, just feeling like you have some support of somebody who knows about the subject that you're going through is helpful. So, you know, thank you. I thanked you for that. No, past, but I mean, that's, that was our pleasure to help yeah. you during that time. It's crazy. It's been that long. Cause yeah. I remember that, like it was like yesterday and just through a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating how fast time goes. Yes. So you just mentioned something and I'm, I'm going to shift gears here and talk about the importance of this because I know we know each other a little bit personally because yeah. our kids go to school together and we see each other in the community and stuff but and I know you've talked about this before in the past but let's talk about the network that you had and you mentioned it before like 
your husband was going to go with you. You had a friend. Yeah. And I know that was something that was really big for you during this whole process, right? Was Because I think you and I talked about this, about yeah. just the overflow of your college roommates and high school friends and local yeah, friends that really, really kind of stepped up. I've been blessed in the in the friend department, and it's it's one of my greatest blessings. You know, I have a group of friends I went to high school with that I see often and talk mm-hmm. to often. I have a group of college friends. I have more recent friends from my community. Um, and when this happened to me, it was actually um, a friend of mine from high school. She kind of rallied up a lot of the friends from different aspects of my life. She happened to be from high school, but she knows some of my college friends and. Um, they, she organized a, a network for me. Like every time I went to chemo, I had a different different friend. Right? Friend took me, and when I first got diagnosed, my husband bought me an iPad, and I was planning on catching up on all these shows that everyone's talking about <laughs> that I, you know, never yeah. get a chance to you watch. You didn't do the Office uh, marathon. No, or... well, now I've seen it, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I had my little pink iPad, and I don't think I ever busted it out. And it was, it was so. Nobody looks forward to going to chemo, but as bad as it was, it was an eight hour span of time um, with a friend from a part of my life, you know, helping me through a shitty time in my life, you know. So we, they would bring photo albums or we would talk about old times or hold my hand while I was feeling nauseous, you know. And then we'd have some jokes, you know, within the, the chemo area, you know, there was the frequent snackers, you know, they come around <laughs> yeah. with the, the snack car, yeah. and, you know, all in, all in good fun, but it was, it was, it was great that, that I had that. And usually my husband would come at the end and, and pick me up because whoever, because by the end it was, you know, not feeling great. I had, I don't remember the type of chemo I had, but it was, it was an all day event every other week. And the final bag was the one that would do really? me in, yeah. um, you know, I'd need assistance walking to the bathroom and, you know, if you could find humor, sometimes I'll never one time I was really weak and the nurse and my friend were bringing me to the bathroom and I was like, this feels like weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like my, my feet were dragging, but just like whatever gets you through the day. I mean, I tend to use humor, I think, as a defense mechanism sometimes, but it works. You know, you get, you get a chuckle out of somebody else and, and I felt a little better, but... It, it was great. It was great to have that network of friends, and I felt surrounded by support, you know, and lucky in that respect because it, it really helped me stay positive. Because that's that's another important thing I think is trying to stay positive when you don't know what the future is going to hold for yourself. So, but how how did you do that? Like, what are some of the things that you use to to stay positive? Because that's something that we hear a lot. But I think everyone's different. Yeah, and I think when you're – it's easy for me and your friends and your family to stay yeah. positive. But when you're the one that's going through this hell, and how do you, how do, you do that? What were some of the things that uh, you did? I to- tend to be like a caretaker type person. So We have me, four kids. Yeah. So never mind them. But like – and I was worried about my mom and, you know, my husband. So uh, feeling like I it was – staying strong for them like I, I had to stay strong you know it was almost like so guilt almost like or not guilt but guilt, like but just like a need to to 
to stay strong, not only for myself, but I have these other people that are depending on me and I, I gotta, I have to stay strong. I'm gonna stay positive unless somebody tells me this is the end for you. Like I, until somebody definitively tells me that I'm gonna believe and, and fight and try and beat this. That, that's how I felt about it. And there was dark days mostly, you know, I would work from home and some of the, after the kids went off to school, you know, I'd have my moments or, you know, the night before chemo, packing my chemo bag with saltines, like knowing like you just feel so defeated because I'd have the chemo, then that next weekend it would be terrible because so you couldn't do anything, sleep and just nauseous. After, and, yeah. yeah, that week. And then by the time you're feeling better, it's time, it's to, time go to go back. back. Yeah. So there would be, I mean, it was it was definitely some dark days, but the kids, I think, were a big part of it. I mean, at the time, my kids were 5 to 13, so they were, they were small. Yeah. So I felt the need to shelter them if I could, you know, until I knew otherwise. So would you hide the fact that you weren't feeling good in front of the kids? Or? Uh, well, there's no hiding that. <laughs> I no, didn't feel I good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, no, but like when I first got diagnosed, um, my husband and I had a big plan of how we were going to tell, tell the, the kids. kids. And it just so happened he wasn't home yet. And we were, I was giving them a snack around the kitchen island. And I, and I just had to seize. I felt like I had to seize the moment. I said, oh. Yeah, really matter of fact, I said, oh, my God, guys, guess what? You know, I've been not feeling good and going to the doctor. I said, well, they found out what's wrong. I have a what's called a tumor. I said, um, I'm going to have to go and have some medication every other week and may not be feeling good. I said, I said, even my hair might fall out. You know, could you believe it? You know, I try to. I said, but hopefully, you know, at the end, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, can we go outside? Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. And the next day, my now sophomore in high school, I don't know, whatever he was, four years ago, he came home from work. I was upstairs doing something, dropped his backpack and came up, and he's standing in front of me. I said, yes. <laughs> he said, uh, I was thinking about what you said yesterday. He said, do you have cancer? I said, I was so taken aback, like the word, you know, yeah. the word. And I said, yeah, I said, actually, I do. I said, but I'm very lucky because they think that they're going to be able to take it out and it's going to, it's treatable. So hopefully, you know, I'm going to be okay. He was like, oh, but I think for him, you know, I said there's buzzwords like the mass was one yeah. for me, but cancer, obviously the word is a, a scary, uh, real, a scary word. So how did the kid, how was the family dynamic during that time? Um, I wanted to keep things normal. That was my that, that was my thing. So things for that from their perspective, pretty normal. Like I, I used to go have to be at chemo at nine. So I get up, they you know, see them off to school or whatever. And then um, I'd come home maybe five o'clock at night, not feeling so great, but I had help who was making help making dinner, yeah. you know. Their lives pretty much seemed not normal. I can't say normal, but you know, as uninterrupted as, as I could make it. I, I tend to be a little bit of a control freak too. Like I, I never, I was very laid back before I had children, but one, two, yeah. three, four kids, you have to kind of be organized, so. Yeah, when you have four, you have to be pretty Yeah, organized. yeah, so there was a schedule with who was taking them, where they yeah. would be and that kind of stuff, yeah. But that's probably important to keep routine yeah. in the eye of like this battle. Even because... for myself, I mean, my oncologist, um, 
had told me, he said, you know, the chemo that you're going to be going through is rough. He's like, I, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to work. And I said, well, can I try it? I said, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk to my boss. I think I could work from home. And he's like, you could try it. He's like, but you need to know, like, if it gets to be too much, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I was able, I took every other, whatever, Tuesday off for chemo. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I, um, I worked during it. And if I took a day off, I did. If I didn't feel well or everyone's, I would take a lunch break and lay down in the yeah. afternoon for a bit. But that was another thing for me was to keep not only for the kids, but for myself, uh, a routine. And I did it as best I could. Obviously, after surgery, I think I took three months off uh, to recover. And there was a break from chemo during that time. And yeah. Then, and then... The remain, uh, remaining chemo treatments were to clean up any cells, but you know, luckily when they did the surgery, my lymph nodes were clean. Um, I went in with thinking it was a stage two diagnosis, but it ended up being a one B. So that was great news. I, I think what you said about routine is so important. It's important, but it's and it's not easy to no. do because. You know, mentally, you're like, like, do I have the stamina, to, you know, to do this? Like, but it, it's it's mental stamina, it's physical stamina, yeah. it's it's. But, but for me, it, it was important. Routine was important. But if you think about this, like you said, like staying positive, and so if you're keeping that routine, then life is going on, yeah. like, right? Like you're not freaking out, which most people, and there's nothing wrong about freaking out. I mean, this is a very serious yeah. issue here. But I think by allowing yourself to keep that routine and not deviate from that, you can't allow the cancer to take over, right? So yeah. like mentally, like here you are saying, okay, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to stay positive. We're going to have, you know, you've got support from friends and family, the kids. But then keeping that routine was really important because that, your life kept going like life yeah. wasn't disrupted and almost like cancer's not going to define my life right now like i'm defining my life like i'm keeping the routine right like yeah. it's going to stay as like best this I, could. I know this is easier it's probably said yeah. than done clearly but looking back there was other things going on too in my life like my my father's health was failing and we were trying to make some renovations to my mother's house and uh, my mother is not one that uses email or text or anything <laughs> like that. And I remember um, from my chemo chair, you know, I had my email and a text. And the nurse is like, what are you doing? <laughs> I you said, well, I'm office. organizing my father's health. But that was like another thing. Like I, 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 the days that I did flap on my bed and, and have it out, which you need to do, mm -hmm. but I did would feel a little off the rails, like unfocused. Like then I was unfocused, and thoughts would be festering. So, as routine as I could keep things, I did to the extent I was able to. I think that's powerful, though. Like yeah. you know, I think for audience listening at home, if life is good, and then you're thrown this curveball, right? Like this yeah. this cancer, which is a, a curveball kick in the gut knocks you down but to keep routine is really important as much as possible right yes, in, an yep. in an ideal world because that allows you to continue to live and continue to do the things you were doing that made you happy before also right and something to look forward to in a way as well yeah and not necessarily giving into like 
well, this is not going to be good. Well, I'm going to continue to do what I'm going to do, and we're going to figure it out day by day. Yeah. Kind of attitude. I want to bring up something, and we're friends on social media, Facebook, so I've seen this. Can we talk about the mailbox? Oh, yes. We could talk about the mailbox. So, as I mentioned, I have friends from all times of my life and a friend of mine um i met her through my son the kids are friends we've become very good friends um november is pancreatic cancer awareness month and every year faithfully uh, i forget about it because halloween yeah but on november first i go out to my car and there's a plethora of uh purple and white balloons on my mailbox just in honor of pancreatic cancer awareness month and every time i mean it's only been x how many years it's but you know i remember this year i was like she did it again you know and it's just it's so thoughtful and and i know it's pancreatic cancer awareness i've got my purple nails and shirts ready to go but you know the fact that other people are thinking about too because they love and care about me is is profound well, I think that's something that goes back to that network of friends. And yeah. I think for folks listening at home, you didn't ask your friends to do this, right? Like you didn't come out yeah. and say, hey, like, but they just stepped up to the table. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast about what's the best way that someone can help someone who's battling cancer. Mm-hmm. And in our case, pancreatic cancer, right? Yeah. And I think that on the flip side, people always say, what can I do for you? Or they come over and they bring stuff that you don't necessarily want. Yeah. Right. Like oh, I don't need another food platter because I got twenty two of them <laughs> yeah. here. You know, or yeah. I don't need another uh, cake or something. But I think just being there, you know, and or like you said, your friends being there, having a different friend at every single chemo yeah. visit was probably really special. Yeah. Or I went downstairs just yesterday or the day before it's my basement to work out i have a little area and it's more than just workout stuff there's a bunch of crap in there <laughs> like storage but um i had moved some stuff around to get some shoes and i found my box you know i had this big box somebody had given me a gift in and i saved every i didn't open it i, I was tempted to but then i would have never worked out the other day <laughs> if i started looking down going down memory lane but i saved every card or like the card from the flowers that people gave me from that time in my life and I looked at that box and I was like there's that you know like why'd you save them just as a memento and I know I'm going to want to look back through there and but again like people who I've reconnected with through Facebook that would send me a card or thinking of you or you know it just it made me feel like I have the strength to do this you know to keep going and to keep fighting and people are rooting for me you know like it it felt it felt good to get those cards you know it was important it's special thanks yeah. for sharing that so tough question here how has pancreatic cancer changed or affected your life for better or for worse well i'm a different person than i was before the ordeal the diagnosis and you know it's different in a good way or in a bad way or should we uh, we had asked the kids yeah. about that one? In <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm the same person, but um, I think I look at life a little differently. Um, some things that I find hard are like 
I have survivor's guilt sometimes. You know, I'll hear about somebody diagnosed with a cancer or pancreatic cancer or somebody that's passed from pancreatic cancer and I kind of stop seeing my tracks like, how did I, how did I get so lucky or, you know, why me? And Or like I was watching a movie one time and when I'm just watching a movie and not expecting and all of a sudden the, one of the people in the movie got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, it's like, like I could feel it, I feel it in my heart, like it, because it, it hits so close to home. And then I start wondering what's going to happen to the character, you know, because there's not a ton of survivors, you know, it's, but there are, they are out there. And I know from like going to your events, like in meeting other survivors and feeling like there are like, maybe the statistics don't show it, but we're out there. And so that's one thing, the survivor's guilt, um, being very cognizant of any ache or pain, that could be a good or a bad thing. I mean, we talked about being cognizant of your body and your health, but um, sometimes my mind goes down a, a path that I wish it didn't when I have whatever, any kind of pain, I think, oh boy, you know, here we go, could this be related, you know? And that's, that's not the healthiest way to, to think. Um, less of that as time goes on with mm -hmm. me, I think. Um, and I've always felt, I mean, life is a gift. I believe that. And I've always felt that way. But um, like after, when I go to, I go see my oncologist every three months. I have my port flushed every eight weeks. You so still have your port in. I do. And why did you decide to keep your port in? Oh, I, listen, I told you it was a bitch getting <laughs> this thing in. And... I'm afraid of it returning and needing to have more treatment and having to go through putting that in again. And my doctor says as long as it's flushed yeah, properly, you, you could you keep it. So, so I'm attached to it now. <laughs> is the port, you just said something, is it because of the surgery trauma or is it because of the fear of the cancer coming back, do you think? What, why? I, why you kept the port in? Um both but probably more about the cancer coming back in my mind once i get to like the five year mark like i'm more in the clear than four and a half years like it's it's it could happen or it cannot happen mm -hmm. so worrying about it doesn't help correct um but i think the fear of it coming back is why i keep it but what i was going to say is when i go when I, especially when I go to the lever center for an appointment or to have the port flushed, um, you know, that night when I lay my head on the pillow, like I'm really counting my blessings. Like it's a reminder, you know, cause you get, I get very caught up in my day to day mm -hmm. and the kids and who has to be where and work and all the stuff that happens in life. But um, more so now than ever, I try to take time out to be thankful for the life that is so hectic and chaotic and then I'm still here to live it. Do you think, um, and this is something we've heard from a lot of survivors, like the survivor's guilt, like this almost like PTSD symptoms yes. with survivors almost? Yes. Like when I hear of somebody passing, it bothers, I mean it bothers me obviously because yeah. somebody's passed, but like how, how does that work? How did I, and you know, wind up with just such a big tumor and it was only stage 1B and it was extracted and my lymph nodes were clean and I'm knock on wood doing fine, you know. I feel guilty about that sometimes. 
thankful, but, but guilty. Yeah. It's, it's hard to describe, I guess. But I think that's to be, I think, a given almost with the, the amount of survivors we have. And Tara, I will say for every survivor we've talked to, they've all said that, that there's this guilt, right? But it's hard for me to say that you shouldn't feel guilty. Yeah. But we can see why because go to the internet, everything yeah. is super negative. You know, I mean, 91% versus 9%, you know, the larger number outweighs. And I think with what we are trying to do and create awareness and bring more money in, you know, we could use the 9%, which we do, but the 91% number grabs more people's attention. Yeah. I think, you know, and so maybe. If we, if the messaging was different, maybe there wouldn't be so much survivor guilt, but then the numbers still are what they are, right? Like, or then I toy with, well, am I a survivor now? You know, that was, I just granted a stay of execution, like because of the <laughs> rate of return, you know, like waiting for the I'm other not, I'm just <laughs> laughing because I've never heard that, like <laughs> yeah. a stay of execution. I've never but, heard that. You know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. drop like when yeah. I go for my three month, visit, you know, because I'm X number of years out. So it was uh, May or June of 2015. So this past May or June was three years. And, you know, my oncologist was like, how are you feeling about the CAT scans? You know, you know, because they've come yeah. clean, clean, clean. I said, how do I feel about you looking at my body and tell me there's no tumors in there that might kill me? I said, yeah, I like them. I like it. Yeah. Bring it on. You Bring know? It on, yeah. I know there's the radiation and, yeah. and downsides to that. But, and he has explained to me, you know, that you could have a CAT scan today and next week, you know, something could show up. So, but uh, to have that six month, somebody's looked and it looks good still gives me a sigh of relief, you know? Well, I, I think, you know, going back to, I, this is a very normal thing that we see at least from our point of view with talking to so many survivors that that is common. I think there is a PTSD and we asked that to a couple other survivors about that. And one of them actually talked about it, uh, Christina Parrish. And she talked about how she went to Facebook and she did this video and, and we talked about it on her podcast, how she had PTSD sy symptoms. So I, I think it's a very real thing, but it's a very normal thing. Um, for survivors to have that guilt. Um, Especially when, when I, those those days that I have to go to the Lieber Center, it goes one of, of two ways. Either it's very matter of fact and I'm in and I got to get back to what I'm doing or I'm looking around the waiting room and I'm wondering about other people's stories or I'm remembering my time there and the nausea, like all the, all like you said, the, the PTSD, yeah, like PTSD. how I felt physically, emotionally and you know, sometimes I cry when I leave there and I don't know if they're happy tears or I feel just an overwhelming sadness, which is unexplainable. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times when I go there, I, I feel those, that PTSD type of stuff. Well, you're not alone. Yeah. So don't feel like, cause yeah. I think it's a very common thing and it's very understandable, but the reality is, is you're here. So you, yeah. you live every day. That's it. Every day. Every day is a blessing. Yeah. 
let's talk just briefly about the family. How has it affected the family? Like, I know, like, the kids were pretty young when this happened. And as you said before, like, yeah. your son didn't realize till the next day. It kind of hit him. Yeah. But now that you're not going through cancer treatments and kids have gotten older. And I think for children, I mean, we have boys that we, we both have boys. Yeah. Similar age range. I mean, like, a lot happens in that time from middle school to high school. and. Yeah, and the Their older lives are ones, busy, yeah. Right? Like so they, I've got two high schoolers and a middle schooler, yeah. and they're very self-involved. Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah. very self, yeah. Se- selfish, not yeah. selfless. <laughs> yeah, but you know they they come to some of the events, like they've yeah. gone to some of the five Ks. Yeah. Um, we're going to plan to go to that again this year in Norwalk. Um, so it's good; it's a good reminder to them. Uh, just funny you ask because my so I have a nine-year-old. And so he was five. He's the little one. He's the little one. Um, You know, he's just still a love. And he's so the other day, maybe it wasn't the other day, maybe two two weeks ago, he said to me, because, you know, I I appreciate so much of what you do. You're the only one who does favors for me. And he's going on (laughs) and on. He's working you for something. So he said, he goes, and this, we never really talk. I never talked to him about the time of cancer he was so small he said when i think about the fact that you had cancer he goes i don't know what i would do if something happened to you and it was so sweet but a part of me is like oh god what if something does happen to me like how would i ever break it to this kid now as opposed to the one that i was just able to so easily brush yeah the story by you know now he's nine and he's He's just a little more receptive to what's going on, but he's probably like my most pensive child and the youngest one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I thought that was profound that he that he thinks about it. You know, the fact. You know, I have some of the pictures around or from yeah. the races and and stuff like that. So he, I mean, he knows, but I wouldn't think in his little nine year old head that he's thinking about a time when I had cancer. Well, it's reality for him too, yeah. as he's gotten older, I'm sure like yeah. he knows, right? Like, I mean, and there's kids in the school now that, you know, possibly have yeah. been in similar shoes than what he was, not necessarily pancreatic cancer, but other cancers, yeah. whether it's kids or, you know, parents. Yeah. And, you know, my husband has a pretty positive outlook on life. So if I start, what if, you know, he's like, I, don't worry about anything and you worry about it if it happens and until then you know keep with your positive attitude so he kind of keeps me in check and the fact that life is busy is helpful <laughs> yeah staying busy is i think from a mental standpoint sometimes physically it can wear you out right yeah. but i think from a mental aspect if you're always constantly on the go and i think that something that you said before was just keeping that routine yeah and as kids get older, like you're keeping a routine, activities get greater, like they travel farther, whether they're in sports and stuff like that. But having that routine, I think, is so critical for people and, and as much as possible, right? Because mm-hmm. clearly there's going to be some days where you're just out if you're doing treatments and, hey, you just can't get. But there was a guy that we had on our podcast. We actually did to build the Ford, and he's a survivor. He's a fighter. He's been going through battle for quite some time. And that was something that he said, Sam, was keeping that routine. And he was he's a PT instructor at a fire school. And he said, you know, I was working out every day. I did this every day before I got sick. And when I got sick, I just kept that yeah. process. Like I kept doing those things because, you know, that's what kept him going, yeah. you know, is that routine. So I think that's really critical. So you critical. hear a lot of common things from survivors, yeah. right? PTSD, routine, you know. 
things to take away and just friends you know that's something that uh, is so because i've always said and it's interesting that you brought up the journal but when my dad was diagnosed i was said to my brother i had the ability to go to everything so i said all right i'm gonna be the chauffeur but i'm gonna be in every meeting so i'm the one listening because typically the person who is sick is not necessarily listening the person who is the survive like the spouse is probably thinking they're not listening because they're like, oh my God, how am I going to do this without this person? Yeah. And then they don't hear anything the doctor says. And then you have that third person. Yeah, you need like a secretary with uh, you. and, and Well, your the, journaling yeah. probably forced you to listen, right? Like you could not yeah. not go to a place because you had to listen. Like, and I would prepare for these appointments. I'd bust out my book because I didn't want to forget to ask the questions. Yeah. That's important. Then you get home and you're like, oh, I forgot to ask. How long I'm gonna, you know, whatever. When am I gonna lose my hair? Or when yeah. am I gonna start feeling yucky? Or what the case may be. Yep. So maybe for our audience listening at home, if they are going through this, having a book yep. ahead of time and bringing makes you consciously aware of actually what's going on. And yeah. then if you I would have take notes at the appointments, and then, like I said, it was important to, to know what questions I wanted to ask. So, if you, you could give someone advice that is sitting in your shoes today like you were back in 2014 sitting in that office what are some of the things of of advice that you would give that person that's sitting today or tomorrow or had just sat down with that doctor if we you know hindsight naturally being 2020 everyone's different but maybe that you don't know your own strength and sometimes you have to dig down deep and find it but trying to stay strong i mean it is not easy but trying to find your what it works for you to get you to that place you know like taking a deep look inside yourself to find that strength i think that's important i mean to me that was that was the basis like if i if i could stay strong and then i could keep my routine and then i could you know like everything would kind of fall into place as best it could so do you think you're stronger now than you were before Yes. I think I, I acknowledged or recognized strengths that I didn't know I had until the chips were down. So you got knocked down? Yep. And we all know life's not about being on top. It's about yeah. when you get knocked down, how you get up, right? Yeah. And sometimes we have to go through Getting these up things. when you don't want to get up or, you know, forcing yourself to kind of get back on track or try to get back on track and a sense of normalcy during a trauma <laughs> yeah yeah it's powerful stuff well tara i appreciate you taking the time to come in i know this has been a, a long time coming with the with the busy yes, schedule yes. we were trying to get you on a couple months back but it all worked out uh last question and this is totally up to you um if our audience someone who's listening to this wants to reach out to you is there a way that they can get in contact with you? I don't know if that's yes. Facebook or email. This yep. is public, so. Yep, I'm on uh, Facebook. Um, I don't really have a, I use my work email for, for a lot of stuff. Yeah, so uh, we'll just person. say Facebook. Yeah, Facebook would be best. And I'm more, more than happy to pay it forward any way I can, which is why I love coming in here and doing the video, the podcast. Um, I love participating in the events. It makes me feel in some way like I am giving back. 
and you guys came to the food truck event, yep, the whole yep, family. Yeah, the food truck, yep. And everyone had some cheese fries <laughs> yeah. and ice, ice cream, cream on yep. a cold day yes. yeah, at Halloween. Yeah, that was great. Well, thank you for coming into the podcast studio. And, um, you know, I'm just going to leave everyone with this. Uh, your story about staying positive in a really, really dark time and keeping that routine and relying on friends and family is so powerful. So I hope our audience at home, maybe there's someone out there that's like, as I said, in your shoes where you were back in 2014 today that takes something from this that will help them in their journey. So I hope so too. And thank you for having me. I love doing it. We love having you on the Project Purple Podcast. That's a wrap. (laughs) 